a noble businessman, a man of action, and few words. That's how our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, describes Nehemiah on Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, and today we begin our study of the Old Testament book of Nehemiah with chapter 1. As Dr. McGee tells us, Nehemiah is a companion book of Ezra. In fact, in the Hebrew canon, they're one book. And that's why we study them together. So go ahead and grab your Bible and find your seat on the Bible bus. And while you get comfortable, I want to share a couple of letters from our fellow passengers. First, we hear from Sheena in Clovis, California. I've been so blessed during our journey through the book of John. I've been meaning to share my story to encourage your team and my fellow writers. It's been a long time coming. My mother was aboard the Bible bus long before me. She listened to Dr. McGee every morning when I was growing up. I'm ashamed to say I strongly disliked the opening music to the program because it meant it was time to get up for school. She didn't need to come and get me. She'd just crank up the radio through our house, and by the end of the first stanza, I knew I'd better hurry. We listened every weekday morning. I drifted away from the Lord after high school, and without His Word in my life, I began to doubt my faith. I suspected those beliefs planted early in my heart were not real. I started listening to the world, and I believed the ultimate lie that I didn't need God. Let me be frank with those on the same path. It always leads to one dead end. There truly is a hole deep inside that you cannot pour all the food, alcohol, and lust of the world into but it's black and dangerous, and it sucks you in. Without God, you cannot be satisfied. I am a witness that He is real. God did not give up on me. He kept looking for me until He found me. I turned back to Him and rediscovered Dr. McGee, but this time I wasn't a grandchild riding with my mother. I was embraced as a child of our merciful God. If I go a day without listening, I make sure it doesn't become three or four. I read and meditate on His Word. I remain clay in the hands of the Master. Thank you, friends at Through the Bible, for your faithfulness to the purpose which the Lord has placed before you. Well, thank you, Sheena. Thanks for that great story of God's mercy and grace. You know, I love how you say that if you miss a day, you make sure it doesn't turn into three or four. It is so easy to slip away, isn't it? I love that you have a plan to make sure that that doesn't happen. Next, we get to hear from John in Puyallup, Washington. I listened to Dr. McGee years ago and forgot about him. John says, In 2016, my wife of 31 years asked for a divorce. I was lost. Shortly after she gave me the bad news, I stumbled upon through the Bible by accident. I say that sarcastically because we know there are no accidents with God. Amen to that, John. Now, I can't get enough. I start every day with Bible reading, and then I listen to your program. As horrible as the divorce was, I'm thankful now that God has my whole undivided attention. As much as God does not like divorce, I think he wanted me even more. God bless you all. I can't wait to rejoice with everyone in heaven. Well, thanks, John. And I agree that God does work all circumstances for his good, doesn't he? And I'm glad that you're back on the Bible bus with us. Now, our last letter from Bruce in Milford, Michigan. I so appreciate your podcast. There is always something new for me in God's word. I love seeing how the whole Bible fits together and hearing the letters from other listeners. I just sent in money for a new tire for the right rear axle on the Bible bus. That's where I sit, and I could tell that tire was getting ready to go. But seriously, it's an honor to be a part of the ministry. Thanks for your faithfulness. Well, and thanks for your donation, Bruce. And I'm sure that all the listeners sitting near you on that Bible bus are going to appreciate you replacing that right rear axle. Now, humor aside, we are very, very grateful to those of you who partner with us in sharing God's Word in more than 200 languages around the world. It's an investment that's going to reap dividends for eternity. 
If you want to find out more about how you can provide either a tank of gas or an oil change that'll help keep the Bible bus trucking along in our journey from Genesis to Revelation, just visit us at ttb.org forward slash give or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for the privilege of being your hands and feet to take the whole word to the whole world. Would you speak to our hearts through our study today? In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Let's begin our study of Nehemiah 1 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, as we get underway here in the book of Nehemiah, I want to again talk about the writer of the book, the one whose story is told here. And we find that this man, Nehemiah, a friend of Ezra's and a companion of his and also the other half of him, Nehemiah was a layman. Ezra was a priest, and in the book of Ezra, as we went through it, the emphasis was upon the rebuilding of the temple. Now, in the book of Nehemiah, the emphasis is upon the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. In Ezra, we have the religious aspect of the return. In Nehemiah, we have the political aspect of the return. And Ezra is a fine representative of the priest and scribe. Nehemiah is a noble representative of the businessman. Nehemiah had an important office at the court of the powerful Persian king Artaxerxes. But his heart was with God's people and God's program in Jerusalem. And the personal note here is the chief characteristic of this book, and it's certainly one that we do not want to miss as we get into this very wonderful little book of Nehemiah. I find myself coming to this book again and again and again because of the fact that it is the kind of book that it is. And I'm sure that it's going to be a great blessing to many of us. Now, I think another word that we should emphasize is this. Chronologically, this is the last of the historical books. That is, we'll go no farther in the history of these people in the Old Testament than right here. We have come to the end of the line as far as time is concerned. The Old Testament goes no farther as far as the clock or the calendar is concerned. The book of Ezra picks up the thread of the story about 70 years after Second Chronicles. The 70 years' captivity is over, and a remnant returns to the land of Israel. The return under Ezra took place about 50 years after Zerubbabel. Nehemiah returns about 15 years after Ezra. Now, these figures, of course, are approximate, and they're just given to show you the stages in the history of Israel after the captivity. Now, this enables us to see how the 70 weeks of Daniel begin with the book of Nehemiah and not with Ezra. Daniel said, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem under Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, threescore and two weeks. Now, the background of the events of Nehemiah is the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. That's in Daniel 9.25. 
Now, we find here, if you want dates, the decree of Cyrus was given in 536 B.C. That is recorded in Ezra 1 and the first four verses. And then the decree of Artaxerxes was given in 445 B.C. That is, it was the 20th year of his reign. That's here in the second chapter of Nehemiah, the first eight verses. So that the first seven weeks end in 397 B.C., that's Malachi. And then we find that you could just mark out that period of time until the Messiah came. And they should have been waiting on the front door step of that inn, waiting for the announcement of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. God had pinned it down just that much detail. Now, this man, Ezra, you find that he was a priest, and we see it through his eyes. Now, Nehemiah's the layman, we see it through his eyes. And these people, having taken the gold cure in Babylon... You see, for 500 years, God had warned his people through the prophets the inevitable result of turning to idols. And they transgressed until finally there was no remedy. And then God sent them into captivity in Babylon. Now, Babylon was the home and mother of idolatry. And the nation Israel got enough of idols in Babylon. And after they learned the lesson, God permitted them to return to the land. And as we've said, there were three separate deportations which returned to the land. Zerubbabel led the first. He's the prince. That's the political side. Then Ezra. He is the priest. And then here's Nehemiah the layman. The king, the priest, the prophet failed to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and cleanse the temple. And God raised up a man we designate a layman. And I think, frankly, it's an unfortunate distinction today. Talk about the clergy and the layman. One's half or the other. We need both, and we don't need that distinction. I started out in the ministry wearing a Prince Albert coat and a wing collar, and I had a derby hat. Oh, my friends, I was frightful looking. When I came out Sunday morning and looked over the pulpit, that white collar... And that white shirt, it looked like a mule looking over a whitewash fence. It just wasn't pretty at all. And then one day, as a young preacher came to me, I'm no different than that man sitting down there in the pew. So I took off all that garb, and I wear what the other men wear. I don't wear my sideburns long, and I don't let my hair grow too long. And I'm not an extremist, but I dress like the layman dressed. I was playing golf. Well, there were four of us playing, a foursome. And two of these men had invited a friend. And he was an officer in a church. And so he didn't know I was coming, apparently. They introduced him to me. And he said, oh, my, Donna McGee's here. said, now we're going to have to watch our language. Well, you know what I did? I called his hand in a hurry. I said, now, listen, brother, I'm no different than you are. Now, if you want to cuss... You cuss if that's the way you do things. But let's understand one thing. Whether I'm here or you here or anybody's here, God hears. God hears your language. It doesn't make any difference whether I hear it or not. 
You see, that's a false distinction that's been made today. A layman, though, rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and he cleansed the temple. And I believe that even in this day, God can and will raise up a layman to do a great work and put his work on a sure foundation. And it needs rebuilding today. I'm looking actually to God raising up a young man who will not be a product of our seminaries. I haven't any objection to that, but I think that as Moody was not a product, and actually Billy Sunday was not, and certainly Billy Graham's not a product of a seminary. But these are men God raises up from time to time. I'm no prophet, but at least we need laymen like Nehemiah. Now I want you to look at this loyal layman. And there are two things in this book that impress us. One is the little word, so. It occurs 32 times, and it denotes a man of action in few words. And I'm going to call attention to the little word when we come to it again and again and again. And he was that kind of a man. And the two familiar expressions was so. That means he believed in watching and working. And then he believed in praying. Watch and pray or work and pray. They are the two words that are very important to this man. Now, he had a good job in Susa, the capital of Persia. He had a government job. He was a cupbearer to the king. And he could have remained in Susa, a good, honest, and moral man. But he would never have been in the record of God or used of God. And I want you to notice some of the things that mark this man out as we now get acquainted with him. And I want to introduce you to Nehemiah, a loyal layman. And here in the first seven chapters, we have rebuilding the walls. Then chapters 8 through 13, revival and reform. And in chapter 1, it's Nehemiah's prayer for the remnant at Jerusalem. Now, I notice this. It's a very real story, by the way, and I'm reading the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chishlu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem." Now, when he means these that had escaped and were left of the captivity, he means those that had returned back to the land. Now, this man, Nehemiah, had not returned back to the land. He just didn't do it. That wasn't the thing that characterized him. He just didn't go back to the land at all. And he took a job. And I'm not going to criticize him because of the fact that God uses men like this, and God uses this man. And you'll notice that this man in this position, he had a concern for God's work. And he was deeply concerned about God's cause. One day he was busy at the palace, and since he was very busy there, why, he was going back and forth. And then he saw one of his brethren. he just arrived from Jerusalem, probably bringing a message to the palace. And so Nehemiah just stopped him. And he said to him, by the way, how are things going? How's everything back there? 
And this is the word he got. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Now, that's not a very pretty picture, as you can see. What a pitiful spectacle God's cause and God's people were in. And may I say, they were in disrepute because his people had failed him. And God can afford to let that happen. Unfortunately, we can't afford that today. And we find here that this man, Nehemiah, now becomes very much concerned about it. That's the reason he had asked. Now, he could have said, well, it's too bad, brethren. I'm sorry to hear it. And he could have uttered a few more pious platitudes. He says, I'll put you on my prayer list. He could have done that. Or he could have said, oh, God bless you. There are a lot of Christian cliches we have today that he could have used. I guess maybe didn't know about them. But anyway, the very interesting thing is he is concerned. Listen to him now when he gets this bad word. It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, there's several things I'd like to call your attention to in this particular verse here that I think are very important. He was not indifferent, and neither is he a carping critic. He could have criticized also. He could have said, now they should have done this, and they ought to have done the other thing. He was concerned. And again, I come to the same thing that we had back in the book of Ezra. Ezra was concerned. He's a priest. Here's a layman, and he is concerned. I wonder today if those who criticize are concerned, really. I wonder today if those that are pretending that they're interesting, I wonder if they really are concerned. What would we really do for the cause of Christ today? And it is in jeopardy today. Does it concern us? Well, this man, he's a young man, I'm sure of that. Nehemiah was. Ezra was an older man. I even suggest he's probably a little boy at the time of the captivity. But Nehemiah had been born in captivity. And this is the reason that in Ezra, I did not criticize those people for remaining back in Babylon. They were out of God's will. That's obvious, and we'll see that in the book of Esther. But very frankly, there were some very godly people that did not return. Now, why? I don't know. You know, Paul says, why do you judge another man's servant? Before his own master, he stands or falls. So you and I haven't got any right to judge these people. And I think we ought to be careful of judging other believers when we don't know all of the circumstances. Now, will you notice this man here, he was concerned. He was really concerned. Now, will you notice what he does here? We're told he sat down and wept. He was out on state business, but it didn't keep him from sitting down and weeping. And he mourned certain days and fasted, and he prayed. And notice, that was the recourse and the resource of these people. That's what Ezra did. Now, Nehemiah does that. He prayed before the God of heaven. And again, I must call your attention that this 
expression. He's the God of heaven. It appeared in Ezra. It appears in Nehemiah, also in the book of Daniel. When Ezekiel saw the Shekinah glory leave the temple and go out over the city wall up to the top of the Mount of Olives and then caught back into heaven, why, then he's the God of heaven. And he never appeared until one time in Bethlehem, and the angel said, Glory to God in the highest, because he's here, but now veiled in human flesh. And some days coming. And the Lord Jesus himself said, Then shall ye see the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. I don't know what that sign is. I rather suspect it's the Shekinah glory of God coming back. But now he's the God of heaven. And now Nehemiah prays to him. And notice what he did. And he said, now here's another great prayer, and we'll get another one in the ninth chapter. He says, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God. Now let's pause there for just a moment because that word, terrible there. That has been, I'm afraid, greatly misunderstood, and very frankly, it's been rather abused also. Really and truly, preachers ought not to be called reverend. You know what reverend means? It means terrible. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some of us should be called the terrible Mr. So-and-so. But actually, It was a name that applied to God, and it was a name given to ministers in the old days when they were held in high regard in the community. That's not true anymore, of course. In fact, it's not even true in the church today. Some church members think they're called upon to try to crucify the preacher, and you generally find... Now, I know there are people who say, oh, my church is different. We don't have folk like that. Maybe you don't, and thank God if you don't. But most churches I'm acquainted with have a little group, just a very small group, that try to crucify the preacher. And they generally do a bad job of it. They would call it a good job, but it is a very bad job. But in the old days, he was called reverend. That was a term of respect. But actually, it means the terrible God, the one who incites terror. And I personally do not think that any preacher ought to be called reverend. I use it, I must confess, but it's not a good name. And you can always detect an unsaved man the way he addresses you. I used to go to a dry cleaning place years ago, and the young fellow that ran it, why, he always said reverend. And from the time I walked in the door till the time I left, he used the term reverend, at least 20 times. He sure wore it out. He was an unsaved man. You try to talk with him, but he called you reverend, but he wasn't really paying much attention to what it meant. We ought not to use the term, speaking of ministers. Now, will you notice he's the God that incites terror? And that's an angle that we need to know today. That keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. He's gracious God, but he also is a God of judgment. And then he says, Let thine ears now be attentive, thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, 
which they have sinned? No. He says, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. Now, this man, he nails it down. He said, I'm a sinner. My father's house is a sinner. And as a nation, we're a sinner. Now, how many times do you hear that today in any church where there is that kind of confession of sin? Now, this brings us here to a stopping point in this man's prayer. And we're going to pick right up there next time. And as we proceed, you're going to get acquainted with one of the most delightful persons in the Word of God. That's Nehemiah the layman. May God richly bless you, my beloved. Well, that was a great introduction to Nehemiah. Why don't you join us for the next couple of weeks as we get to know Nehemiah a little better. If you'd like to invite a friend to listen with you, today's message can be found at ttb.org or by downloading our Through the Bible app from your favorite app store. Now, if you'd like to contact us by phone, call 1-800-65-BIBLE. Again, that's 1-800-652-4253. Well, I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'm so looking forward to seeing you next time as we continue this great adventure through God's amazing Word. Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?